So you can see on the screen our messages over the last several weeks have been really focused on particularly what it means for our church to be mobilized, mobilized for mission. To mobilize is to bring people together and to bring them together for action. To mobilize is to organize and encourage people to act in a concerted way in order that you would bring about a particular objective. And when it comes to the church, we don't just get to pick our own mission and then get mobilized for that. God has a mission for his church. And he has a church for his mission. And we're seeking, what does it mean particularly for Ogletown Baptist Church to be on mission, to be mobilized for what God is doing, what he wants us to do as the people of God here together? A high priority, the ultimate priority for us has been Not for you to hear my opinions, but for us to go to the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to to look to the instruction and the commands of Jesus, say, if we're going to be on any sort of mission, we want to hear what Jesus has to say for us to do. So we've been looking so far at the words of Jesus, and Jesus has not left us in the dark on the subject. So he told his first followers, and by extension, he's told us that he wants us, he's commanded us to be witnesses for him that we would be witnesses for him, that we would take the message of who he is and what he's done, the perfect life he led, the the sacrificial death he died on the cross, the resurrection that means he's conquered sin, death, hell, Satan, the fact that he's reigning, that we would take that message and we would bear witness to that. Jesus told his first followers in Matthew 28, they would be disciples, but they would be disciples who would make disciples. They would be learning of Jesus, but they would also teach others who Jesus is and and what he means and what he's done. Jesus gave his first followers a simple mission. So we're mobilized around this, sharing the good news and supporting those who share the good news. It's not actually that complicated. There's no manipulation, kind of manipulative sales techniques involved. It's sharing a simple message. And, and the first followers of Jesus, the good news is they did this. They shared the good news. You can read the story in Acts where again and again, they didn't go with the message, let's be better people. Let's try harder. They went with a message about a man who died that was unlike any other man. And they took that message all around. We should too. Individually, that means we ought to give our lives towards sharing this message and supporting those who share the message. It means also that our church, we, we have a message to share. And so we have these internal ministries and efforts at sharing the good news. And we have strategic partners and other ministries that share the good news and we cooperate so that good news might be shared. Something else accompanies this good news that goes out with the first followers of Jesus, though. It's not just that they go sharing good news, but accompanying the good news are good works. Not to earn God's favor, but because God has done the good work in Christ Jesus. And to show that has made a difference. You see, Jesus sent his followers not just with the message of spread the good news, but Jesus sent his first followers with some other commands, like let your light shine before others that they would see your good works and they might give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus sent his first followers, and by extension us, he sent his disciples out with the command 
that they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they were to love their neighbor just as they love themselves in Mark 12. Jesus sent out his followers to accompany the good news with good works, and the story of the Bible is they did that. And here we are in their trail 2,000 years later, and we're still called to share good news and accompany that good news with good works. It's something very simple. Again, the church, we don't, we don't have gimmicks, lights and lasers shows. We don't have like bait and switch techniques. We have a simple message and good deeds that accompany that message. It means something individually that our, our community ought to be filled with people as, as we are the church not gathered, but scattered as we go out in the community. Our church, our, our community ought to be filled with good works. Individual Christians doing good works in the name of Jesus Christ. But it also means as a church, we are care- called to care about the vulnerable. We're called to care about those that society might take advantage of. We're called to care. We're called to collect and share what God has given to us so that others might not be in need. If you want to find out more of that, we talked about that the last couple of weeks, but I want us to take one more step in this idea of being mobilized for mission. Really understand our mission in yet another term. Again, we're going to go back to Jesus. And Jesus gave his first followers another piece of instruction. He told them exactly what he was going to do. And I want us to see that in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say, some say you're John the Baptist. And some say uh, Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? It always matters like personally, like what, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So this is the mission Jesus is on. He is building his church. Upon this rock I will build my church, and even the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Jesus gave his first followers this promise, didn't he? It's a promise of, I will build my church. But it's interesting, the Gospels end, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John end with, and Acts begins with about 11 11 apostles. Judas betrayed, so there's not 12 anymore, there's only 11. And there's maybe a few dozen disciples. And Jesus says, I am going to build a church we hear church and we hear like religious terminology, and understandably so, but the first followers of Jesus, when they heard that, they would have heard Jesus say, I'm going to build an assembly, a gathering. I'm going to build a gathering and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against this gathering. So there's a couple ways we could approach at how Jesus did what he said he would do, how he built his church. We could kind of go Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, and we could kind of do a time-elapsed photo and see there he's building again, there he is building again, there he's doing it again. And there'd be profit in doing that. I, I actually want to take a different approach and really look at two, two big ideas when it comes to Jesus building his church. Can we start with this idea? So idea one here is 
the church, as we see Jesus building it, the church is central to what God is now doing in the world. The church is central. It's the centerpiece to what God is now doing in the world. You know, God has always been, you know this, right? God has always been interested in more than just individuals having a relationship with him. Even in the Old Testament, he has a people. And the New Testament, he has a church. It's more than just individuals following Jesus. It was never meant to be kind of me and Jesus and nobody else. Jesus said he was going to build a gathering, an assembly, a group of people, a specific kind of group. And they wouldn't just be people that kind of some club that shares a common interest, some alumni club that gets together and kind of rah-rah team. It'd be something different. It would be something different than where you just make a few new friends. So what is the church? I mean, what is this thing that Jesus promised to build? Well, that's a huge question. I'm not sure there's a simple answer. But what we can do is see exactly what, he, what it is he built. This assembly, this gathering, it's a group of people that first and foremost have been called by God to see the truth about who Jesus is. And they've turned from their sin and they've placed their faith in Jesus. And they're obeying him and they're repenting and turning to him. You wonder why we sing songs like a cross meant to kill is my victory and we sing it together. And we sing our debt is paid and it's paid in full. Because first and foremost, what sets us apart is not that we all have the exact socioeconomic status, that we all have the same background, we all have the same kind of hobbies. It's not the same like we would all go and have the same podcast downloaded on our smartphones, that we would all have the same presets in our, our radio that we like to listen to, that we would all DVR the same shows in a given week. It's not any of those things. It is first and foremost that we are the people of Jesus who've been called by his name. And we share that in common. We are the group that has come together in him. It's a pretty diverse group that I would imagine this group would not assemble for any other reason other than Jesus Christ calling us together. We would not be together. Oh, some of us, we might have some affinities, but we would not be together like this if it wasn't for the glue that holds our church together, and that is Jesus Christ. The group that's called by Jesus, though, it's not just that they exist out in the world, but they meet together, they gather together. That's exactly what happened in the early church. Acts 2 said they were meeting together day by day. Hebrews 10 says you shouldn't neglect to meet together. 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians talk about God's people getting together on the first day of every week. It's a, it's a group of people that meet together, and it's a group of people that meet together even to show we submit to Jesus. He's the one that has the chief word he is truly the, the senior pastor of the church. He's the one who's the sovereign Lord. He's the one that we bow the knee to. He's the one that we recognize his authority supremely in the church. That is what, it's a group that submits to Jesus. It's a group that says exactly like Acts 5.29, we obey God rather than man. It's a group that's committed to each other in covenant relationship. Acts 2 talks about this first, this first assembly of believers having one one heart and one soul, they're united. Philippians talks about it being like a group of people that are side by side struggling together for the cause of the gospel. I think Ogletown, like there has to be four or five generations represented. 
How many backstories are there represented by our church? It is not always easy to come together and strive side by side together. Often it's easier to just go at each other. The early church wasn't immune to that. We certainly aren't. But we're the church that's been brought together in a covenant relationship. We're one soul. We hear the word taught and we listen and we obey. Already this morning you've heard God's word read, whether it's by Nathan or whether it's by by Champ. And when God's word speaks, we all say, whatever you say, Lord. We don't throw it up for debate and say, do you want to do this? We say, Lord, you speak. May we obey. The church is a group that recognizes new followers of Jesus. So in the course of time, as Ogletown has grown as a church, we've We've recognized, someone says, I put my faith in Jesus. And we we recognize that even by baptism. Someone by baptism is saying, I've been buried just like Jesus was buried. And I am, I'm alive just as Jesus was risen from the dead. And the church, we we don't do that privately. We do that publicly to say, we are together in this. We are signifying something that we are dead in Christ, but we are alive in Christ now. A church is a group of people that meets together to remember what Jesus has done for us in the Lord's Supper. So this wasn't just a ritual that people invented and thought that that might be a, a good thing to remember how Jesus suffered. It's actually given to us from Jesus himself. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember his body broken for us. Remember his blood shed for us. The church gathers to do that together. We're a group that depends on, uh, together on God in prayer. So we pray. Yes, we pray individually, but we pray together as we've done this morning. It's a church, a church is a group that utilizes everyone's gifts, skills, and contributions. So it's not as if the church is just made of the people that will be on this stage this morning. And actually everybody else kind of sits the bench and watches the, the participants really get into it. Actually, there is no bench. There is no bench in the church because everybody's gifts and gills and uh, skills and talents. And I think I'll get all my words together here. I'm a little excited about what I've shared today. Can you tell? Now, I, I, our 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body can't say, like, I don't have any need of you. The ear doesn't say that to the eye. So I look at a group of, of people like this, and I think how easily it would be for about 40% of you to say, we could just sit the bench and watch a great show every week. I think that, that isn't the group that God's gathered. That isn't the purpose. We're, we're a group that sacrificially cares for each other's needs. So sometimes it's easier just, you know, you had a long day, you had one of those days, you just want to sit and relax and take it easy. But then something compels you to send the text, to send the email, to get involved in someone else's life, to make the call to show up and to care. One another becomes the operative word in the church. We bear one another's burdens. We pray for one another. We're, the church is a group that's looked after by shepherds and leaders. So this, this is what happened in the early church, whether it's 1 Peter 5, where there are overseers or elders, or Acts 20, where there are pastors, or Hebrews 13 that calls them leaders, 1 Thessalonians 5 that calls them leaders. The chief shepherd is Jesus, but under Jesus are under shepherds that look after the flock, that know the flock and feed it and lead it and protect it. The church is a a group that lives life in close proximity to each other, not just an hour on Sunday, but close enough that when we see each other, as Galatians 6 says, kind of overtaken, overcome in a fault, overcome in a sin, 
the ones who are spiritual, the ones who are spiritually healthy at that moment, they go to the one that is overtaken in the fall and they, they try to restore that person to a place of usefulness and they consider themselves because any of us could be tempted. Any of us could be prone to wander in a minute. This is the church. The church launches us into mission and then we come back and we say, this is what God has done. The church pushes us to continue on in our discipleship so that even if we endure struggles, even if we get the worst diagnosis, even if we get the worst news, even if family situations blow up, the church perseveres and says, don't quit on God. Don't quit on the Lord. Faithful is the one who called you who also will do it. This is a church. This is what Christ died for, the images of a, a flock or a building or a field or a temple or a body. I love the way one pastor of the Bidi, Anya says, the New Testament has no vision for the Christian life apart from our playing our part in the local church. I know. So as a pastor, it could be very self-serving. See, at least seen that way. Of course, I'm going to be all in about the church. Is it just a self-serving message? I actually think I wouldn't be a faithful pastor if I didn't tell you a central part of what God is doing now in this world is the church. I don't think I'd be leading you to green pastures and still waters so that your soul could be restored if I didn't say, this really meant a lot to Jesus. I think it should mean a lot to us. Jesus promised to build his churches and he starts, he starts with 11 followers, most of which you know, just days before had kind of said, we're not with them. But then it begins to accelerate and there's a church in Jerusalem and then there's a church in Samaria and then Acts 10 says there's a church in Caesarea and then Acts 11 says there's a church in Antioch and then Acts 13 to 15 there are churches all over Turkey and then there's churches in Macedonia in, in churches in Greece and in Acts 16 and 17 and 8 it continues on until there's churches in Rome. The church is not just kind of this franchised brand awareness so that we get kind of the name of Jesus out in a lot of places. Everywhere where there's a true church that's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is present. God's power is at work among God's people. Acts tells a story, and it's not just geographically, like God's doing something here with assemblies that actually don't feel that impressive. But it's also generationally. So you start off in Acts about 30 A.D., and Acts ends about 60 AD, and there's churches all over the Mediterranean. And then if you go to Revelation, that's probably about 90 AD, and there's churches all, all over the place. I mean, God has done a work in 60 years. The, another generation is gathering together. Jesus promised to build his church. The church is central to what God is doing in the world. And maybe at times we need that push. I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not downloading new data today. I don't think anybody's surprised to hear me say that, that the church is central. But, but I, I do wonder at times if our tendency is to think, you know, actually, Curtis, I can do a lot of my Christian life solo, and sometimes it seems better. I get more out of my quiet time or reading a great Christian book. And church sometimes, you know, just doesn't quite do it for me. And actually, I can journal and podcast, you know, I listen to my, my favorite speaker, I listen to my favorite songs and... That's kind of all I need to be, to be a better follower of Jesus. Church, at, at times, if we're not careful, it can kind of be like, I'm we're getting ready to go back into school mode. And it's kind of like, some people love these, but a lot of people don't. The, the group project, the group projects aren't for everybody. 
And sometimes if you're not a group project fan, yeah, oh, I'm going to have to work with you know, some crazy person and they're not going to pull their share. And it's, you know what, I just want to do my work. I just want to get my grade and get out of here. Why do I have to work with others? And could we find ourselves going, you know, maybe everybody else is okay for the group project church, but I think I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to cobble together some things that I like and I'll download this and read that and choose the things I like and kind of get rid of the things I don't like and choose the people I like and get rid of the things I don't like. And there's never been, mark it down, there's never been a real relationship in your life that meant anything where you just get to pick and choose. I like this, but I don't like that. There's nothing real about that. Church isn't going to be like where you just download all your favorite apps. There's times where we, we like things and there's sometimes things that challenge us and God is working in the midst of that. That's the way real family always works. We go back to the first followers of Jesus and sometimes we talk about like the church of Acts, like what a beautiful church that was. And you know, the early church, it was perfect. It wasn't. It was a struggle. Read Corinthians sometime. It was a struggle. But they had such a confidence of what God was doing there. Again, I hope I'm talking to the convinced, but where the rubber meets the road, if it's central to God's plan, when life's schedule gets really tight for you and you have to say no to some things and you have to prioritize other things, this is where I think, will it really matter that the church is central to what God is doing? What are you willing to sacrifice for this thing that mattered so much to Jesus? What about when the spark kind of wears off and... Like you remember when you really loved, you know, the church, maybe it was back in college or youth group or, you know, 30 years ago or maybe even two years ago. But like the spark of all that's worn off and then you get pushed like to really believe that central to what God is doing now in the world is the church. If it's this important to Jesus, is it this important to you? I think it's critical to think about. So that's one idea that I want to make sure we get from the book of Acts. And I think that's critical to our mission. Jesus promised to build his church. Church is central to what God is doing, but I, but I want us to gain another simple idea in Acts, and that is this. Churches are never meant to be isolated. Churches are never meant to be isolated. They're meant to be connected. A church in Jerusalem forms, but it's connected eventually to the church in Samaria, which is connected to the church in Antioch and then several other places. And they, they share this connectivity. The Bible is at the center. The gospel is supreme. Leadership is selected to guard this. A lot of different places we could go to, to see this in action. But, but one place in particular I want us to go is Acts chapter 14 to see the idea that churches are connected. Acts chapter 14 and verse 21, Paul is out on a mission trip and He's with Barnabas, and it says when Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to the city Derby and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, three other cities, and they strengthened the soul of the disciples, and they encouraged them to continue in the faith. And they said that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And notice what they did, Paul and Barnabas, in each of these cities, when they had appointed elders or pastors, leaders, shepherds for them in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and Barnabas care about these churches, but then they're going back home. They passed through Pisidia and they came to Pamphylia and they went, spoke the word in Perga and they went down to Italia and from there they went to Antioch, their home church. And notice what happens when they get to Antioch. 
where they had been sent out. They come back in verse 27 and they arrive, they gather the church and they declare all that God had done with them. So it mattered to the church at Antioch that God had been doing work in Derby and Lystra and Iconium. Churches are never meant to be isolated. We're meant to be connected. Acts 15, the next chapter. The church at Jerusalem connects with the church in Antioch and other churches in Turkey. You're reading along in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul says to the church at Colossae, greet the church at Laodicea for me. Fully expecting them to be compatible and communicating. Romans 16, he mentions this lady Phoebe that's coming from one church in Palestine and going to the church in Rome. And he connects those churches together. Second Corinthians, he connects the churches in Macedonia with the churches in Greece. And in Acts and in Philippians, the churches in Macedonia take a relief offering to send to churches in Palestine. So this is the way it works. It's interesting. The church in Jerusalem cares about churches in Turkey. And churches in Turkey care about churches in Greece. And churches in Greece care about churches in Palestine. This is the way the Bible teaches us. Churches are never meant to be isolated. Churches are always meant to be connected and care for each other. So, so Ogletown, what does that mean for us? It does mean we're not on an island. So there's initiatives that we do as a church to recognize this very thing, that we are not on an island. We care more about than, than just about our church. So even right now, we have a, an initiative. It's called the Next Generation Leadership Initiative. And so it involves internship and people taking seminary classes. And part of that will build up our own church family here. But a big part of that will be so we could send out other church leaders, bless other churches. We could pour into them here so they might go out and bless other churches so that we might have a connection, a bond to those churches. It's why we develop and we maintain relationships with other churches and pastors in our area. This week, I think I talked to three or four pastors in Newcastle County. And not just people I know, they're friends. And their churches aren't just like, I'm aware of them. I, I, I thank God for them. And many times I've, when I've been on vacation, I've worshiped there. We take facilities that, that God has blessed us with. And so this afternoon, these doors will be open to a church where the majority of the people speak Russian. And we'll open our doors and And they don't need to worry about trying to find a place. We open our doors gladly. We've done that for years now, every Sunday afternoon. That's why when we're done with Vacation Bible School, we take supplies that we paid for and we bless another church with it if they can can use it. We, We recognize the church is bigger than just this location. God is doing some other things. That's why we'll use our vehicles. Even even this morning, one of our members, Pastor George Nichols, is actually preaching at another church. And, And we have regularly people that are part of Ogletown and we send them out to preach at other churches and be a blessing there. I think this would mean if we care about other churches, we should prayerfully ask regularly, like, is God calling us to start a church? And maybe at some point in time, God's going to answer that with yes and here and who and how and, but we ought to pray like, Lord, would you want us to export good news in our area? We give money So if you gave in the offering, part of the money you gave will give to organizations that are starting and strengthening other churches. Some of that will be like locally in Delaware and Mid-Atlantic and North America, even in in internationally offerings we take at Christmas and Easter do this. And all that's great. 
And God's been blessed, blessed with Ogletown that we've had that mindset and that heartbeat for a long time. But one question we've been asking recently and certainly been a burden on my heart is, like, how can it be more personal to us? This idea of connecting to another church. And as God's been burdening our heart, and as I've talked with shepherding team and missions team uh, several months back, I was pleased to find out about a church plant that would be starting soon in Wilmington. I was grateful to meet the pastor that God was leading, calling to our area to start that church. He brought Pastor Derek Parks, who spoke at our men's uh, breakfast several months ago, and Derek and I have met several times for lunch, and just we, we've seen how God is aligning our hearts. Whether it's Newark or Wilmington, it's the same gospel. And, and it, as we prayed, and, and I shared about this uh, a, a few weeks ago at our members' meeting, the church that is launching in Wilmington Epiphany Fellowship, could we, could we be blessed by a partnership with them? Could we bless them? Could we partner with them? And I'm, I'm grateful for a pastor friendship, but I actually wanted Derek to come this morning and share so that the whole church can, can actually recognize it's not just Curtis and Derek that would be partners, but as our church would move forward as a partnership, it would be our church praying and wanting to bless uh, this church that's starting. So Derek, why don't you come and uh, why don't you just take some moments, and I hope this is one of the first encounters of many over the future years where you'll hear what God is doing in the life of Epiphany Fellowship. Come on and share, brother. Well, good, good morning, Ogletown, or is it almost, I made it. We got four more minutes. Good morning, Ogletown. Well, my name is Derek Parks. It's my privilege and honor to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, thanks so much to Pastor Curtis and Pastor Champ for inviting me out. They're my, my good friends uh, here in the state of Delaware. Um, and I, I have the, the wonderful privilege of pastoring uh, Epiphany Church of Wilmington. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I'm from New Jersey myself, uh, a little town called Camden. Um, you may have heard of it. Um, it's got a pretty decent reputation for being not so decent. <laughs> but I'm, I'm born and raised there, so that's, that's home for me. And, um, you know, by God's grace, uh, about three and a half, almost four years ago now, the Lord laid on my heart to plant a church in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, and I, I, the Lord saved me at the age of 19. Um, like I said, I was a, a, a kid who grew up in Camden, and I was very much a Camden kid um, in the way that I lived my life. Uh, so the Lord saved me at the age of 19. I was a, a teenage father, uh, and the Lord um, used that experience to show me of the love that he had for us by giving up his own son for us. Um, and through that, uh, I came to know the Lord and, and I, I, a desire grew in my heart for, for ministry and, and sharing the gospel uh, with, with, with people all across uh, the state of New Jersey and all across this region. Um, and God's grace has been extremely significantly, significant for me uh, in my life. Um, because, I, I, because of the things that transpired in my life, I developed a, a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, I, I know that that's sort of a, a cliche kind of thing that we say in churches. You know, we, we've got to fear the Lord. But I've got a healthy fear of the Lord because of this, this primary factor is that I believe that God can do anything. 
And as I read the scriptures, I, I see the interactions between God and his people and God against his enemies. And, and you know, th- those kinds of things stir up uh, in your mind many, many things. But when God laid it on my heart to come to the city of Wilmington, I, I, I came there randomly, uh, just made a, a quick trip uh, to, to the city. Um, I was looking at a dog. So long story, but we were, we were looking at a dog. So in Camden, we, one of our ministries was uh, we had a dog kennel. That sounds weird, but a lot of people, they, they deal with, with dogs and dog breeding. And we would go to dog shows, and we'd have our little table with our, our kennel name. And, you know, we were out there, and uh, we would meet people. And people came to know Jesus through that. Uh, we would meet them at the dog shows, and they would come to our table. We'd have our Bibles on our tables and playing our Christian music. And they came to know Jesus through that. But I was in Wilmington looking at a dog, and I, I didn't know much about Wilmington other than it was the corporate capital of America. Now, I'm a Camden kid, so for me that meant, wow, it's really nice there. Like, so when I got to the city and I saw, oh, it's, it's not so nice there <laughs> in a lot of places, you know, the Lord gripped my heart uh, about the city. And that sent me on a journey of about a year of just praying and reading every article that I could find on the internet, which made me an expert because I found the stuff on the internet. Um, so I just began to read and study and, and, and research. Um, and then in 2014, I came across an article titled Murder Town USA. Now, many of you probably have read that article, have heard of that article. Uh, but that article, the, the Lord used that to really grip my heart. Um, there's a through all the statistics and things in the article, there's a quote by a man. They asked him, what's, what's Wilmington like to you? Or what's, what's Wilmington becoming? And his response was that Wilmington is just South Camden. Uh, and, and that was significant for me because the neighborhood that I grew up in my whole life in Camden was South Camden. So we were doing a significant work in, in, in Camden, New Jersey, and I was wrestling with God about, about leaving my hometown with a, where there was a church that was thriving. We, we planted there several years ago from Epiphany Fellowship in Philly, uh, and, and we were doing good work there, and I, I was just wrestling with the Lord about coming, and the Lord used that to, to send me on my way and to, to be obedient to him. Um, but as I got here to, this, to the city of Wilmington, I, I quickly found out that we were just embarking on a journey to join Jesus in the work that he was already doing in the city of Wilmington. And I I found that out through connections uh, and friendships that I've created here, uh, like the ones that I have with with Pastor Champ and Pastor Curtis, uh, just good friends to me who who have an affinity for the city of Wilmington, who care about the city of Wilmington. And the thing that I found out, if, if you are in and around the city of Wilmington, you know what's going on there, and you care somewhat about it. So for me, the notion, and, and, and I, I talk with people all the time uh, about Wilmington. Um, you know, we talk statistics, and Wilmington is the top one, in the top five worst cities in America on the Department of Justice Violence Reduction Network, and one of the ten worst place cities to live in all of America because of the poverty and the crime. Um, and you know, oftentimes I hear those things, um, and when people hear those things, that that sends them running away from the city, uh, and that and that sends them into uh, almost a, a depression about the city. 
But when I when I when I read articles like that, I I kind of get excited. Now I'm I'm a little loose. That's fine. Uh, but when when I read those things, I get really excited because I say, "Wow, what what an opportunity for God to show off His power and His might." I mean, what an opportunity for God. Like, I imagine God, like, in the mirror, like, flexing his deltoid muscle, like, and just going like that and showing people and then lifting up and bouncing his his pecs and stuff like that. Like, yeah, watch what I'm about to do. And that gets me excited. Like, I I know I'm a little little off, but I get excited about that. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. And that's my heart's cry. Is I, I, I know with, with, with great certainty that my, God can do anything. And when I read Romans in, in, in chapter 1, I see that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. So when I go into the city and, and, I, and I stand in front of drug dealers and I stand in front of known murderers and killers, uh, I'm not fearful because I know this one thing is that I have the power of God. And if I got the power of God, the power of God is powerful, more powerful than any drug dealer or murderer in the city. So I can very easily tell them, hey, listen, uh, Joker, bow your knee before Jesus. And I tell them that. So we were blessed yesterday to have a, a, a community day event uh, in a park in West Center City called Helen Chambers Park. And if you know anything about Wilmington, uh, West Center City uh, was, was ranked the, the second worst neighborhood in all of America two years ago because of all the violence and shootings that, that happened there. And central to all that violence is this park called Helen Chambers Park. So again... I'm not all the way there. So I said, hey, team, let's go right to this park in West Center City and let's have an event there. And by God's grace, it was, it was a wonderful time. Um, we were able to, to, to serve over 500 people. We gave out free food and um, had community resources there for people uh, and things like that. And it was, it was such a blessing for uh, our team to, to love and serve on the city. And the response that we received from people is that no one comes here. No one, no one comes to this, to this neighborhood. No one comes to this park. Why are, you, why are you here? And we get to tell them about the great love of our God. So Ezekiel seven twenty three says this. tells us to forge a chain. For the city is full of violence. And the city is full of bloody crimes. Family, we need to forge a chain because what's going on in the city of Wilmington from the, from the time I, I, I became aware of it till now, it's not getting any better. But we need to forge a chain that will come up and stand against the violence and the crime and the poverty that exists in that city. And some of the ways that, that we do that... Um, when we invite people to do that with us, it's just by praying for us. We desperately need your prayers in the city of Wilmington. And, you know, the church that I pastor is, is called Epiphany Church. Uh, we, we get our name from Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all types of people. Um, 
And that, that, that word there for appearing, it, it, it's, it's the word epiphano, which is where we get our word epiphany from. So we just desire to be little epiphanies displaying the one who appeared. Um, and so we ask that you would pray for us in the city. So we live in the city. We, we, we live right in the heart of the city, right in the, in, in the ninth ward. And, um, you know, we, we've seen some things on, the, on, on our block since we've moved there um, that are just, just hard to talk about. But we're just asking that you, that you would pray for us and pray for my family. Um, because we desire to see that moniker of Murder Town USA fall off. And we want to see it be replaced with the moniker of Mercy Town USA. And we know, just like Pastor Curtis was saying, that God is going to use his church to do that. Not just our church, not just Epiphany Church, but he's going to use the connections between our church, Epiphany Church, Ogletown Baptist Church, and churches all across this region to see that be accomplished. And we're just grateful for the partnership that we have. I'm grateful for the friendship that I have uh, with Pastor Curtis and Pastor Champ. Uh, me and Pastor Curtis, we root together for the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, we root together for them. Amen, amen, amen. I'm not scared of none of y'all. Uh, so we, we root for them. Amen. But we praise God for the partnership and, and the prayer um, that you guys uh, are doing. And, and I know that's cliche to, to ask people to pray for you, but we really, really, really want you guys to be praying for us. And whenever we come across your mind, whenever you hear about Wilmington, please say a prayer for Epiphany Church of Wilmington. So I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Pastor Curtis. So Derek's asked us to pray. We will pray. I, you were supposed to bring up the Cowboys thing after the partnership, Sorry. not the, so that's all right. And he may not be scared. I am a little scared. So I'm just, let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer. I, I'm grateful for Derek again. I, as much as we're friends and I appreciate our friendship, I want Derek, you to know there's a church that stands behind you and is praying. And uh, as we pass Wilmington and as God gives us opportunity, God may even call some of you, send some of you to go. And we, uh, we just pray that the Lord would use this partnership to, to bless both of our churches. So let me pray and then we'll sing in just a moment and close our service, all right? Father, I thank you for friendship and I thank you for partnership and I thank you for sending Derek down to um, our area. I thank you for your gracious work in his life several years ago. And I thank you for the call particularly to uh, a, a tough area and yet we recognize nothing is, nothing is tough compared to your power. So we pray that you would break chains, that you would forge a, a chain of your church and your churches. I pray that you give uh, Derek an, an epiphany favor. I pray that you give them wisdom as they are, are beginning these first stages of really seeking your will. I pray that you would meet every need and Lord use Ogletown to be part of that. Or we have so much to learn. And so I pray that even as we, as we fellowship with our brothers and sisters at, at Epiphany, that we'll learn and we'll grow. Uh, we recognize that central to what you're doing in Newark, central to what you're doing in Wilmington, is your church. And so we pray that you would raise up not just our own churches, but many others, so the gospel would be preached. And we thank you for just even the visible connection today and um, the opportunity to get to know Derek a little bit better. Lord, bless... Uh, 
bless our partnership. We can build, but unless you, unless you build, we're laboring in vain. So Lord, provide increase and, and bring fruit as a result of this. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.